Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This week on the show, renting lenses, technology is not always the answer, HDR is cool, and don't put naked photos on the web, right here on This Week in Photography. Hey everybody, uh, we're back. Uh, this is Alex, and uh, we're back for another This Week in Photography, and we are once again spread all over the world. From uh, from New York, we have Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. Good to be back. From San Jose, we have uh, Fred Johnson. Hey, Fred. Hey, guys. From, is it Redondo Beach? Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach. From Hermosa Beach, we have Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing? And from about eight blocks away, uh, we have Scott Bourne. <laughs> we could almost walk over to Scott's office. But... Could you just walk down the street? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm hungered down here in the dog patch, as we call it in San Francisco at Podengo Studios. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's funny. We, uh, we, we, we occasionally get into the same office, and, uh, but it is, uh, you know, both Scott and I, our schedules are so crazy. Half the time we're, we're eight blocks away and, and still Skyping in. We've known so, each uh, other for years. In fact, most of the time we known each other i lived in seattle and we've probably right. spent about as much time together since i've moved to san francisco as we had during the time i lived in seattle yeah <laughs> that's about right <laughs> technology bringing us together Love yeah it. exactly exactly so we're going to jump right into this we've got lots of stuff to cover uh this week we've got some news um uh, panasonic has a new uh lumix the dmc fs 5S. Who makes up these names? All right, marketing so, yeah. department. <laughs> Rolls off no, the top. No, not the marketing. Yeah, definitely not the marketing department. Because they would call it the the, the Luminix Cool Flash. So, uh, <laughs> the, the Onyx. Yeah. I like it. The Coolio. The no, Coolio my theory it is the marketing department. Here's why. Because this camera has one out of 4,000 features not available on the other model. And by giving them all these hard-to-remember letter name combinations, they fool you into thinking it's a brand new camera when in fact it's not <laughs> so this is they, they barely did anything to the camera is that what you're saying I, my, my contention is if you were to look for instance particularly at pma at the plethora of point and shoots right. that came right. out i was i just said what is this about and literally there would be one different thing from one model to the next and that's how they justified oh we have 57 new models well and, and the th this is that why do they do that is it just to get shelf space on uh, you know your local Best Buy, and they figure if they send a box over with more cameras in it, each one will get put up? No, they figure that there are so many people out there that will buy the newest thing because it's the new thing that just because they added one feature, they can sell you the new thing and they sell you a new camera. Yep. But if you got fifty-seven new things, then uh, nobody's buying all of those. Well, I, I don't understand it either, but to tell you, unless they're mo they're they're just out to confuse you, and by the way, they manage to do that to me on a regular <laughs> I <think> basis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I think this is, it's, it's almost, it reminds me of what Apple had in the early 90s, or mid-90s, uh, early to mid-90s, where they had so many versions of Macs that I just didn't know which one to buy. You know, it was, uh, there was, there was so many different versions of everything, and it seems like it's not even between camera companies, it's just within the same camera company. Um, and, and I think this, this gets down to really being clear of exactly what is important to you and looking just for those key things. Um, don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of them, when, I, when we picked the G9, which has turned out to be very popular among our listeners, uh, you know, the big the big thing uh, that, that I was looking for, of course, was RAW and a higher ISO. And um, there wasn't really any other options and something that could fit in my pocket. Um, so it was easy to pick. But I think that it's the key is um, getting back to the great philosopher Joe Jackson. You can't get what you want till you know what you want. So the... Uh, Go ahead. I think, think the manufacturers and you know software companies, admittedly, are also guilty of this. But you know, you try to you try to please everybody with one piece of equipment or software. So you're you know you, you add all these different pieces in there and you create this matrix that that uh, you know that, that appeals to certain segments of the population, and then you end up with this big grid of things that you need to market and confusing everybody. And I'm not I'm not making any references towards the creative suite or anything like that, but <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say that it happens. <laughs> now the one feature that that I know um, uh, Stu Mashwitz, uh, a friend of mine, uh, is um, in a CTO over at, at the orphanage. One of the things he liked about the Lumix cameras is they they do do a a, a real sixteen by nine aspect ratio. So if you're shooting for uh, if you're working as a test you know, test shooting for framing or compositing uh, in uh, film, uh, you know, it does shoot a 1920 by 1080 and higher resolutions from that. But in that aspect ratio, you don't have to crop later. You can just kind of frame it and uh, and have it work there. So I think that that's um, one little feature that people uh, should keep in mind when they're thinking about these little cameras. It's only $250. I don't know if you guys saw, but Olympus has unveiled what they have titled, and, you know, if they're saying it, it's got to be true, the world's smallest and lightest uh, digital SLR, the E420, and it comes with a 25-millimeter pancake lens, and uh, those of us, I think Nikon had a pancake lens years ago, um, and it's it's interesting how these SLRs are, are kind of coming down to the point where they're not really the DSLR of old, they're kind of compact cameras, and um, it's kind of a new track that's opening up in 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 these cameras with a bigger sensor. Do we want them to be smaller and lighter? Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm just that's a question for everyone. Uh, I, I want the option <laughs> to have one that that is smaller and lighter. Yeah. I, I think you're. Uh, most of us are in this mode where you know we we know of probably three or four cameras that we wish we could have because you never know on any given day which one's going to be the most useful. Right. And this is uh, retailing at four ninety nine uh, body only five ninety nine with a with the um, fourteen to forty two lens. And I, I think this one uh, has got this pancake lens, which is a fixed lens, a nod. This is the this is the twenty five millimeter f two f two point eight. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And it, and it's cute looking. It is. It's this cute little camera. <laughs> it's the kind you could get for your kids. Regarding the weight thing, I can tell you one thing: is the older you get, the lighter you wish your cameras were. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I found that that was the the one thing that that was uh, hard for me when I went uh, playing around with a rebel. Is that when I was used to the 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 20D, I was kind of used to a, a little bit bigger camera, and uh, I just had a hard time with my fingers. You know, I just didn't have quite the same dexterity. So um, that, that's the only reason I was wondering if I really wanted to be that much smaller. Although I would like to not leg, lug something around quite so often. I think Olympus is doing what they did in 1972 when they came out with the OM1. You guys remember that? You guys are old. I owned that camera. And, and that- it was a great camera, and it revolutionized the SLR because it was much smaller than everything out there, and it looks like they're kind of doing it again. I mean, granted, there are some other small DSLRs out there as well, but this is the smallest. 
do we think we're, we're really slowly moving away from, you know, just moving away from that paradigm of, of an SLR the way we knew it um, with, uh, with, the sh- with the, for instance, the shutter working the way it does and the size and, and everything else, I mean, getting down to the bare, no- bare bones of we just need to be have interchangeable lenses? Well, I think the part of the question is going to be, are you going to see non-SLR with interchangeable lenses? You know, theoretically, you could do something like that now. And yeah, I, I think that that line is just going to blur generally because at the other end, you've seen these sort of point and shoots that come with massive lenses, good lenses with extreme zoom ranges, and they're pretty big. So I think they're growing in both directions. Is there a reason for, to keep that to keep the shutter the way working the way it is now, other than just charging? No, there's all different kinds of shutters that could be implemented. I mean, you could go to to focal plane shutters if you wanted to. I mean, right. I mean, you could go to you could go to just the, the, the real question is, I mean, you could just go to the chip captures when it captures, right? Well, it, if you're going to have if if you're going to use live view, that would work. But if you're right. going to use a view, a, if you're going to use a viewfinder, yeah, there's a big big advantage to having a viewfinder there, being yeah. able to look at exactly what you're seeing with your real eyes, not yeah. filtered through I'll, whatever your LCD is. Me personally, I'll, I'll never buy a camera without a viewfinder. I just I think it's evil. Never say never, Scott. Never I'm say saying never. never right now because, first of all, I'm old <laughs> enough to have a pretty good guess that never's not too far away. Secondly, I just, you know, I can't stand it. I can't stand not looking through the viewfinder. Is the... Uh, Even on a plate sheet, Scott, like with, a, with like a little G9, you use the little optical viewfinder on there? I, I do, and I know it's like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it yeah. makes me feel better. You know, I think, I think we mentioned this on the show before. I, I, I remember, remember when I was shooting... Um, I was doing a shoot and I saw a lot of Japanese tourists all with their, you know, putting their arms out to take the photo rather than putting it up against their, their eye. And this is, you know, 10 years ago. And I was just like, that is the silliest thing I've ever seen. And now I just, I can't, I, I, like I would never use the eyepiece on a video camera again. You know, I just, it doesn't even occur to me anymore. Um, you know, so it's, it's funny how that, that, that kind of progresses from generation to generation. Uh, speaking of SLR, go ahead. Sorry, just just uh, an aside. Since uh, Scott used the term "evil," it's the uh, there's actually the acronym for electronic viewfinder interchangeable lens, which Thanks. is out there, which is EIL. This is what this is what happens when we get people who are just a, just a tick too nerdy for the show. On the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of SLRs, have you guys one thing that I, I never really thought about, and this was posted um, to our uh, delicious list was lens rentals. So there's actually a, a website lensrentals.com that you can rent just about any lens that you can uh, for Nikon and Canon. Uh, uh, just about all the different lenses that are available. Ha- has anyone tried renting lenses before? Sure. Used to rent I've rented lasers. lenses from like like from Sammy's, or, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm always leery, leery of that because I never, you know, it's, it's always iffy and it's always like, I don't know, driving someone else's car. Yeah. You know, if, if you're in a crunch, you might want to do it. But, you know, if, it's, if, you can, if you can manage it, get your own glass, you know, at least, at least from my perspective. I used to rent them up at Glazers in Seattle all the time. They had a really good rental department. The lenses were in excellent shape. And, you, you know, you could rent them on a um, Friday, and they'd give you a one-day rental for the whole weekend. It was a great way to try out lenses. And you could ask to see the lens before you rented it. So if it was one that was just a little bit too old in the tooth, you could pass. But I think renting lenses makes a lot of sense, particularly, for instance, if you want to do some of the work I do with birds, where you need to shoot a, a, a $10,000 lens to get some of those shots. Maybe right. you're going to shoot birds once a year. So go rent the lens for 300 bucks for the weekend. 
as opposed to it, it makes it makes sense i've i've always the one thing that sort of you know is always on my mind when i rent a lens is you know if the lens is worth let's say a thousand dollars a lot of these places will sort of charge your credit card like eight thousand dollars or something just so that you know that they want it back and they want it back in good condition so you know there's that sort of nervousness factor you you want to make sure you uh you know hang on to that thing and and keep it in pristine condition it seems like a great place, a great way to test lenses. You know, you're, you're looking at a lens. I mean, the, the, the prices are between twenty and fifty dollars a week. So it's it's one of those things that you could rent it for a week and and just uh, take it out and shoot a lot of photos um, with a with a, uh, a fisheye or a wide angle or or a telephoto and just decide whether you like the lens before you drop you know a thousand two thousand dollars on a piece of glass. That makes sense. Just like the car rental metaphor. You know, you go drive it for a while if you like it, and you go buy it. But don't buy a rental lens. There you, no. there you go. There you go. That's a good point. Don't well, you don't want to buy a car from Hertz rent a car, and you don't want to buy a lens from a rental place. But guys, let me ask you this, and it's something that it's it's maybe the dirty little secret, and I've heard about it, but I've never really been concerned with it. But I've heard that people will you know buy a lens, and and you know the quality control is really good, but does it vary from lens to lens? When you buy an L lens, Canon, or a good Nikon lens, um, is there going to be a difference? Does Absolutely. anybody know? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Now it's going to be so less of a, there's going to be less of a difference in the Canon, for instance, with an L lens. Almost all the L lenses, copy to copy, are going to be pretty consistent. But you know, I can remember when the the first long range zooms came out for Canon. You could buy five lenses, and all five of them would perform completely differently. Yeah, I think things have improved since I, I, then. No? I do, I do, but there's still a difference every once in a while. And I think, unfortunately, we got a lot of pixel peepers living around us today. And, you know, people will zoom into 16 million percent and blow the photograph up to 30 by 30 feet and say, aha, there's a speck in that piece of glass. I can see it now. I, I think people get a little overly concerned about most of it. But there are there is a difference from time to time. And as you go cheaper, Steve then you really see it. Yeah, that I believe. That I believe. Now the, uh, go ahead. Typically, is it typically uh, just sort of quality of, of focusing or back focusing or just a variety of different it, things it, you see that are different? It's just a variety of issues. Usually, it, you know, I'll look at things like back focusing is one of the one of the things I've seen here and there. Um, you know, the, the, there might be Scott, a... Scott, for some, of our, for some of our listeners, can you explain uh, back focus a little bit? You know, the last time I got asked to do something like this, we got 43 comments where everybody nitpicked what I said because I didn't include everything <laughs> in the world. So here's what I'm going to do. Go to Wikipedia. They're taking it all down. Stop. Go to Wikipedia and look it up. No, Ron, Ron, do you have a, an explanation for people for a back focus? My understanding of it is, is you know, if you have an autofocus lens, then, and you set it, for instance, to focus on the center point, uh, in theory, that lens should be focusing, you know, exactly on the object that is at the center of that center point. And back focusing is just, you know, if it's slightly off, you can have front focusing or back focusing, and it's just the the lens sort of. It kicks itself into the, its home position that's just slightly off of where that focus point is supposed to in be. In other words, behind that point or in front of that point. Yeah, one of the, one of the issues that we have, uh, we, we deal with this a lot with uh, some of our larger cameras. You know, when you, you deal with back focus a lot when, uh, uh, with the 950 that we use for video, video work. You have to deal with the back focus all the time. And what we have to do generally is we have to measure the lens to make sure that the, um, you, we basically set the 
we open the aperture all the way up. We put a, a focus chart in front of it, and we measure out 10 feet from the focal plane to, um, uh, and then make sure that when we focus, it's actually, you know, we set the focus um, at 10 feet on the, on the camera for, or on the lens, for instance, and then we have to, then we use the back focus ring to sit there and tighten that up to make sure that it's really lined up. When the back focus is off, one of the problems that we have is that um, when you zoom, a lot of us zoom in, get a focus, and then pull back. And uh, if you zoom in and get a focus, you can actually, um, uh, when you pull back out, uh, you can actually lose that focus. Um, and so that's... Uh, I, I, it's different, completely different in still photography. It is. It is. Okay. The, the, the back focus, there is no back focus ring in the same way. You know? okay. But, but it, it's interesting because, and this was, I think, a, a, a reader question, there are some of the newer high-end cameras, I think with Nikon in particular, that allow you to sort of self-calibrate the lens to deal with exactly this issue right so that was one of that was one of the things that one of the questions that come because when i saw when i saw that come up as a question uh, i was i was like i've never heard of a still camera having a back focus so um i thought that was a an interesting question it's a different kind of issue and 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 frankly you know most of the time that you hear about it it's user error i mean if you read the forums every single lens shipped has back focus problems. Every <laughs> single camera ship causes back focus problems. And it's just, you know, you, you got people that are operating, you know, with equipment that's over their head. I've taken a lot of cameras from students and they swore to me there was a problem with this or that. I tested them. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, it, it's, it's, it, that what happens is, and this is the, the bad side of the internet, raising its ugly head, they'll read a review from somebody who, for all we know, doesn't even own the lens, that said, oh, I heard that had back-focusing problems. And then, boom, there's like 8 million posts. Oh, that's a bad lens, got back-focusing problems. You know, you, just, yeah, yeah. you have to take all that stuff with a grain of salt. Test lenses on your own. See if they work. It's real easy to test a lens. Put a piece of newspaper up on the wall. Make sure that you're not closer to it than the minimum focusing point. Take a picture of it with even light on it at every single aperture. If it's in focus, then you got it. If it's not, then you might have a problem. But I think that's a great reason why a manufacturer should just go ahead and offer the ability to do a little calibration like that, because then people can just well, shut think, up think, about it. I think that's brilliant. I Once again, you're giving me another Nikon point, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> there are these Nikon points that keep wiggling their way into these conversations. Uh, I know. Those of us who are buried in Canon lenses just have to go... <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Resistance, resistance is fetal, Scott. I, I have to admit, I, I was, uh, we were, um, uh, one of our, one of the members uh, that runs all, all of our training, the Pixelcore has a Nikon, and uh, and I was talking about HDR, and I and she's like, how do you set up the, the auto bracketing? And I opened up the auto bracketing and suddenly realized that her D200 could shoot uh, plus or minus five stops at, at, you know, every half stop. Instead of my instead of my Canon, which is three photos, you know, plus or minus two stops. And I was like, I don't do that. And uh, that's exactly what I said. And uh, <laughs> and, and so I was just. What it, the it, hell was that? It was just me. It was me kvitzing. It was kvitzing. I was like, I can't believe, you know, that I'm the, the this camera. It's I'm the, the the I'm really getting close. I have to admit to either a D three hundred or a D three. It's it's uh it's getting more and more painful for me. That's all. So the um, uh, also uh, on the web, uh, check out. There's a great post, um, also by Stu Mashewitz. This happened over the over the week, uh, exposing to the left or exposing to the right. Um, this is on his Prolost uh, blog. We'll put a link in the in the show notes. Did you guys get to see this at all? 
I did not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't get time. I've certainly seen plenty of discussions on what the right way to do it is. Right. So it's a it's a great discussion. I don't think we need to get into the discussion at the moment, but it's what it's really talking about is do you underexpose or overexpose when you're fire when you're shooting, especially in a high dynamic range situation um, where you have a, it's a bright day and you still have shadows and wh- where do you protect for? Uh, the one thing I will say is it's, uh, it's a good forum for venting about things like this is I really wish camera manufacturers would have a mode where the histogram that you see on the back of your camera could reflect the actual raw data and not because uh, right now they as far as I know they all sort of reflect what the JPEG equivalent would be what the, the normal exposure view. so you're not seeing the true range right it's, you don't really see whether or not you're macking whether you're clipping at the high end or not right Right. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing is, is whether you give up some of your give up contrast in your image down the road where you can't expose past it or do you risk clipping? You know, and that's always the the thing that we get into. But definitely for our readers, definitely check that out. Um, Once again, the links will be in the uh, show notes, but it's uh, go ahead. Yeah, Alex, I just wanted to say the one thing that I've been seeing a lot of, and maybe you guys too, and that is, you know, because of the control we now have with RAW, we can, you know, find detail in the shadows and detail in the highlights, and we're sort of forgetting about sort of just the pure black and and the fact that we don't really need to have detail all the time in our in our images and if and sometimes they look very unnatural to see sort of detail in a very deep shadow that you know, just looks more like noise than anything else. And I don't think there's any shame in letting something go really dark. It, it can be very beautiful. Or, or really white, as yeah, far well, as clipping These out. are the choices yeah. we made back in the film days regularly without any concern. Some of these Pulitzer Prize winning photographs that you look at today would be just slaughtered if they were put up in a critique <laughs> form. You know, Absolutely, and, and, and they're the finest photographs, you know, of the time. In fact, they hold, they hold and stand up for me. And if you look at the cameras the fellows were using back then, and they were all guys back then, you know, look, look at the, the camera that took the picture of, of Muhammad Ali standing over, over Joe, Joe Fraser laying on the ground. It was a speed yeah, graphics. Yeah. It's a speed graphic. It's like a one-shot camera with a bulb flash. Right. You know? and that's where you needed to have needed to have talent um, over technology. Back yeah, then. and you know if you look at the picture, there's a few places where the you know he he made the right choices in exposure. The stuff that needs to be there is there. The blacks are black, the whites are whites. The you know shadows are kind of blocked up, and there's a few places where it's blown out, and you don't see a bit of it because you see that great moment in time captured. I agree with Steve. There's there's way too much focus on some of this stuff, and I'd like to do an art versus science photography show. There's two different groups of two different camps if you will that i tend to run into in the 30 years i've been messing about in photography there's the the science group which doesn't really care what the picture's about or what what you've done there creatively they're more interested in is it is it tack 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 sharp at 16 by 16 feet is it perfectly exposed they're into the science side of it what you know what technique you use and then there's the art side that's like i want to tell a story with my photographs if we can combine the two, I think that's the place where we win. But, you know, some of these discussions sort of stem from these two very different approaches to photography, which have been there since day one. 
Well, I think that I think it is important, though. I mean, I think that it helps us when we understand. I think we definitely want to pay attention to the art. I think we have to. I think that the uh, the other side of that is that it does help us when we um, know why why things are happening the way they are and how we can do little things to protect ourselves from doing doing a lot of that. I think all of us here, while we like to take lots of artistic photos, um, are assisted. Uh, by the fact that we know where the limits of our cameras are. Well, that's what I just said. The perfect mixture would be to have a little both going on. Yeah, a good artist knows his tools, definitely. But I think it's a great point. You can't get lost in the technology. Right. I mean, often some of the best... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, some of the best pictures that I've seen are not really about the technical. And it really is just they can be atmospheric. They can be taken with a pinhole camera. They can be taken with a, a cell phone camera. I mean, it's, it's not really what it's about in the end. Yeah, I had a, I had a, um, a friend of mine who used to take those, those little Polaroid cameras. Have you seen the ones with the little strips? I can't oh, the stickers. It. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the wee little, they would take these wee little like postage stamp photos. And uh, and he would just take those all the time. And uh, they just, you know, they have their own artistic flavor to them. So it's uh, definitely uh, there. Now, to jump into technology uh, just a little bit further, uh, have you seen the, that Compact Flash is revamping um, their uh, their memory solutions? Yeah, when, really I, this. <laughs> when I when I no, saw I'm not, that, I'm not looking it, forward to this discussion. <laughs> it just it just makes everything obsolete when this new technology hits, and That's you know. So, so from that from that perspective, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. It looks like it's a little down the line, but the big uh, manufacturers are all online with this new technology. So we'll we'll see. It'll be faster, but then again. Things are pretty good right now. They're pretty fast. Well, the jump, the jump, it looks like it's jumping from 445 megabytes a second to uh, 375 megabytes a second, theoretically. So, uh, theoretically, six to seven times faster to clear your card onto your computer. Remember when you buy one of these and you're first in line for one? Remember Uncle Scott here advising you don't take any very important pictures with those first reissues of the new Compact Flash. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing that I just want is I just want everyone to get along, just just figure out what, what memory card they want to use, because right now I'm carrying around SD cards and micro SD cards and and uh, um, compact flash cards. I mean, we just need to, this, this is almost like the Blu-ray HDVD thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would be nice, you know, I mean, they're, they're all very good, and it, yeah, it would be nice. Uh, we'll see. I mean, the market's big enough that it probably won't happen that way, but... Uh, right. Ultimately, uh, it would make things a little simpler for everybody. Now, uh, finally in the news, uh, just a reminder, as we look at when we're, uh, when we're doing something, this is a little old, but I thought it was worth uh, bringing up. It was, this was also posted to, all of these actually were posted to the delicious, uh, our delicious list um, at uh, Twip Ideas. And this is just a reminder that online photos are not as private as you may think. Um, this is a, a woman, um, a, a, this is according to the Washington Post, a woman put up uh, a lot of photos. Uh, some of them uh, were of her um, kids skinny dipping, and uh, she, she locked them only for private, you know, uh, parents' eyes only, um, and then found out later that she had uh, thousands of views. Very disturbing. Uh, as something that, that, that is, and, and the, the question is, it's not something you could really run or you'd have to be searching for it, right? Yeah, um, that's the disturbing part, really. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 big, the big thing here, I don't think we have to belabor this too much other than to realize that once you put stuff online, you should assume that people are going to get to it. You know what I mean? You, you, should, you, know, you, can, you can lock it off as much as you can, but, but I think that, that um, putting 
photos on Flickr or on any of these sites, I mean, a lot of people use those as their storage of every photo that they take. Uh, if it's a personal photo, you know, it's, it's, you know, you should not, if it's a personal photo and the kind of personal photo that you don't want everyone to see, uh, it's probably not the best place to store it. This might be where, a- where, do you draw, where do you draw the line at that, Alex? You know, I'm thinking like with Apple TV and being able to share your photos back and forth with, say, the grandparents of your newborn. You know, do you do you not use that, or how do you, what alternatives I, are there for folks to keep things more secure? You know, I, I you can uh, you can make it reasonably secure, I think. But I mean, like for instance, I put my stuff up and I didn't do anything, but I don't put anything up online that I don't want people to see. You know, so there's there's lots of pictures from the birth, for instance, that I don't think would be appropriate uh, to put on. <laughs> put on a public forum from the birth and, of your baby um, you mean what from the birth of your baby yeah from the birth of my baby uh i have a lot of them and they were all carefully taken taken of things that i really that were really great parts of the uh of the uh, birth uh, or of the uh, post-birth um but they're they're cropped or or they're shot in a way that that i can put them up and not feel like it's going to be problematic later um so you're saying you should, you should people should employ their common sense filter when they're posting photos online yeah, also, uh, the metadata is an issue too, I believe, from that story. And that was, I mean, if you put skinny dipping or anything like that, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be this is what a, Yeah, people are, are looking for stuff. Like and I also that. want to mention if you're an iPhoto user and you have, let's say, intimate photos of your significant other stored in your iPhoto library, make sure you turn off photo sharing. <laughs> because, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but a very famous, very, very famous Apple founder once was staying in a um, hotel where a friend of mine was. And um, when my friend opened up his his iApps, there was a a photo library there available to look at with some interesting <laughs> photographs. <laughs> It, I think the bottom line is I, I think taking pictures of your significant other in, in those kind of ways is probably not a good, great idea in general. There's you should sketch. Ways. You should sketch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sketch is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but exactly. opens up a, up a, opens up a new avenue for the exhibitionist. You know? <laughs> oh, you mean my iPhoto library sharing was checked on? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, so the. So the um, site of the week here, uh, we have, um, have you gone to, have you, I'm sure most of you have seen KenRockwell.com. Yeah, he has a good photography-related podcast. Yes. Now, he's a, he's a controversial figure, I understand. I mean, I, I don't know him personally, but I know there is a lot of information out there, and it's kind of a love him or hate him kind of a deal. Well, the best, right. the best media people fall into that category, Steve. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean someone know, who's not afraid to have a strong opinion. Look at Rush Limbaugh. Half his audience is people who just hate his guts. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> at the, I mean, at that's... the risk of sounding at the risk of sounding out of the know, um, I'm not familiar with Ken Rockwell. Can somebody give me like the thirty second who he is and why he's relevant? Well, he's he's got a. I, I don't know much about him either, but you know, he has an interesting site and he's doing a podcast that's reasonably popular. He does have strong opinions. And in the but you're, you're describing Scott Bourne. Well, and, and I'm probably as, I'm probably listen. I'm as, I'm as probably as much hated as Ken Rockwell, so that's all right. And you know, it's uh, I've made a career out of having strong opinions, and uh, it's it's paid quite nicely. So I'm, I mean, yep. look at Dvorak. Come on, yeah. You yeah. know, it doesn't. So, it hadn't hurt him. <laughs> 
there's a that I think that, that that's a, you know the uh, it's definitely worth checking out his website Ken Rock uh, Ken rockwell.com there is a lot of opinion and information and, and a lot of other things that he's been, that he's been kind enough to put up here um, and whether you agree with all of it or not uh, I think it's definitely um, a, a site worth uh, checking out you'll definitely learn something uh, yeah. even if there like you know there are a lot of opinions but there's a lot of good technical information there and it well, certainly exposes you to a lot of things I'm going to give you the best reason to visit his site and this is the best reason, this is the answer to the, one of the questions we get most often in email. How can I improve my photography? Ken's got some really nice work up on his site and his gallery. And if you want to get better at photography, the way to do it is to look at a lot of photos. Writers get better by writing and reading. Photographers get better by shooting and looking at other photos. So that's, that's a, you know, for no other reason, he's got some great images. Look at those images and ask yourself, what did he do there? How did that work for him? Is there a way I could employ that technique next time I go out shooting? If for no other reason, I'd say go to his site for that because there's some really nice images there. Absolutely. we got to stay positive on this stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, objectivity is boring, let's face it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and it's good to get different perspectives, and especially from people uh, with strong opinions, like uh, Scott Bourne. Oh, quit it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, just a reminder to everyone uh, who's listening that if you have ideas that you think we should be covering on the show, uh, news or sites of the week, um, you want to go to Delicious and uh, or or, or or, – tag them in delicious as twip ideas um and uh and we will uh, it's twip ideas uh and uh, we'll see them in the list that's what i go through when i'm figuring out the news uh for the show so um definitely check that out um uh, a reminder that we have a uh, Flickr challenge that's in progress tons of great photos have you guys seen any of the Flickr stuff yet yes people are posting yeah. It's really, really, really. I mean, there's there's been quite a few there that are just fantastic. We've got another week in the uh, challenge, so uh, people should uh, definitely, uh, you know, if you haven't taken some pictures of signs, and there's lots of si- lots of different kinds of signs, um, definitely check out the Flickr group. Uh, that is the the Twip photo. It's, it's the it's Twip photo, right, Scott? Yeah, there's a link to it right on our blog, which is also right, at so twipphoto.com. And um, we ha- if you look, the, the way it works is you submit a photo to the pool. You can only submit one if you want it to count in the contest. And you just make sure and tag it in Flickr with twip signed. And then we'll find it, and we'll go through them next week, and we'll pick a winner. And then the winner gets Steve's great book, The Republicans. And we'll also pick a runner-up. Uh, the most important thing to do is just participate. Go out and, and shoot pictures of signs. The reason we split this to two weeks was that in the interim, we have started a Flickr discussion cr- uh, group for critiques. And so to give all of us here on the panel time to do it, uh, we, we were putting two weeks into the contest, and then in between this week, we all promised to go out and critique some of the images. So each of us uh, on the show today will promise to critique at least one image, by visiting the critique discussion forum, which is also linked on our blog. And uh, that'll give us time to do that. And we encourage you to do that, too. And by the way, Alex, we're getting awfully close to 2,000 folks. And fast, too. So 2,000 members. Um, it's re- There's also some Flickr, some great Flickr videos uh, uh, that were put together that are on the blog. 
Yeah, we have blogs on how to sign up for Flickr, how to post an image to Flickr for those of you that have been having trouble. Also, Flickr has tremendous help resources on its site. If it's not something you're familiar with and you want to be a serious photographer, I'd highly encourage you to spend some time getting familiar with it because it's becoming, I don't know, this is my opinion. I'd like to hear everybody else's. It's be, in my opinion, it's kind of becoming the de facto place to put your images. Does anybody disagree? I do not disagree. I think yeah. I, Flickr Flickr is amazing, and it's just it's got that four momentum and the whole community aspect of it. I posted some images yesterday, and uh, you know it's just amazing. By the time you decide to log off, people are making comments on your photos and giving you feedback. So it's just a great. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, where? Who are these people, and where did they come from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> stop! Stop! <laughs> So also, um, uh, we have a, we have added voting. Uh, you know, it's this it's the primary primary season here, and and in in the uh, in the sense of that, we've added voting. Our voting's a little different. We're not asking you to vote between a, a handful of candidates, but between cameras this week. So um, if you go up to uh, twipphoto.com, tell us what kind of camera you're using right now. So what's your camera of choice? Uh, we I think we listed most of the major ones. Obviously, right now it's a, there's a big. Uh, Duking, they're duking it out between Canon and Nikon for the most part, um, but we'd like to see uh, how big uh, the Pentax, Olympus, uh, Sony, so on and so forth uh, groups are. So it uh, makes a big difference when we're, when we're, deci- when we're looking at what we're going to do next uh, to know what that is. So please go up to twipphoto.com. Check that out. It's on the right side of the blog. I also want to point out, Alex, we've set this poll up so that you can only vote once. Um, you can't vote multiple times. You can't freep this poll because it, what it does is it checks your IP address and that's that. Now, you can change your vote if you made a mistake, but you'll only get one vote total. Also, to be as fair as possible, the cameras are not presented in any particular order. Every time you would refresh the page, you'll see them in a different order so as not to bias the poll towards any one particular camera brand or the other. It's very scientific. Yeah, I mean, that's like the most scientific thing I've ever said. <laughs> we we um, the, um, the 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 blog was a little slow uh, over a couple of days. Uh, we uh, apologize for that. We we were getting a lot of demand. Yeah, we had uh, to add a second server already, which is a good problem to have. Yeah, right. of course, my right wallet's kind of screaming at me right now. But uh, <laughs> let's see, that was a half of uh, a, a D three right there. Just point, yeah. pointing that out. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, oh, yeah, so, let's see. I'd, so, I'd so. be halfway to a D three, or I can fix the blog. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so we. Other Teresa, you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's it's factoring a, into your your discussions here, Scott. I heard that Nikon mentioned a couple times here i think you're coming over yeah well I'm, not all of us received a free kit you know some of us <laughs> might have to go buy one and i'm not going to use anybody's you know name or well i'll use initials fred johnson <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know you know because i got it free i just don't it's just you know i don't respect the camera that much you know <laughs> yeah we can tell <laughs> fred are you so gonna have to give it back at some point in- yeah, at some point. Yeah, it's not bad <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I saw I, on that day. I saw a U-Haul up at his house the other day, and I don't know. It looked like he was making way for a getaway in the night. 
You know, I, I'm giving that camera back the day after the D4 or the D3X is announced. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm, I'm afraid to bring this up, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm heading out to Africa uh, very soon, and I've got a loner D3 as well. Oh, man. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Look, I've got a D3 and a 24 to 70, and that's what I'm going to try out there. What I want to know hopefully, is, you know, how is it that a, everybody on the show but me got a free D3? I don't well, know. Most, I haven't. Most of our listeners have gotten free D threes. I don't know why yours didn't come. To that. <laughs> well, Scott, you can afford a fleet of D threes, so you're interested. <laughs> but I'm so cheap. The, uh, it's cheap. So, I'm cheap. You know. So moving on from the D three, the weekly D three discussion, <laughs> starting to become. Yeah, you know, no, no one's going to be claiming that we're canon fanboys for much longer. So uh, we need. We so need, the, uh, we need D three raffle music. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, um, uh, listener, just some, some listener questions. We're going to move through them fairly briskly, but uh, we had a bunch of questions. I put up an HDR movie on how to put HDRs together, which I think is a lot of fun. And the movie was really well done, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, it was, I had so much fun putting it together. It was, you know, I started off with just, oh, I'm going to show how to do it in Photoshop. And then I got Photomatics and then I got um, Bracketeer and I started putting them all together. And so I did it pretty quickly. And what I didn't show, which I'm going to show in a future movie, is really how to shoot them. But just to give people a quick answer to that, uh, what you want to do is make sure that you're, you're on aperture priority. You do not want to uh, change your aperture because it'll change what's in focus and it'll change what pixels are lining up with other pixels. Um, then you just change the shutter speed. And what you're doing is changing as uh, up to two stops per, uh, per photo um, that you should fire. Now, most of these cameras have some kind of auto bracketing. The ones that I posted were simply the Canon with its auto bracketing set to two plus or minus two uh, stops. And I just hit the button and it fires three photos with less than a second. And... Um, and then, uh, then I just drop them into the, the applications that I put there. So uh, uh, that's that'll get, hopefully get people started. You want to use a tripod or, or stand really, really still. Um, the photo I took of my wife was um, me standing really still or sitting really still. Uh, everything else I shoot, I've shot so far is on tripods. And uh, uh, we'd love to see um, people. I think somewhere down the path we're going to do a little challenge. So uh, go out and play with. Uh, HDRs right now, and uh, try shooting some of your own. I'd love to see them on the Flickr uh, on the Flickr group. So um, hopefully, people uh, are encouraged to go out and play with that. And if you're a major camera manufacturer or accessory maker, and you'd like to donate a prize, we might just have a big old HDR contest and make it a nationwide deal. So, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's it's just a lot of fun, and and hopefully, I'm I'm hoping that. Uh, camera manufacturers get get clear of how much they can do. It's little things like what Nikon does, which is let, letting you have big, wide uh, gaps. Uh, you know, what I really want is plus or minus 10 stops, you know. <laughs> I, you know, Alex, I, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere along the line that there was a firmware hack out there for like the 20D or so that lets you extend that. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to Google around a little bit. I okay. think there was uh, a hack out there. My, 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 my camera's near end of life, so I'm, I'll, I'll hack it and uh, see, see how we go there. Other questions real quickly uh, before we run out of time here. Uh, uh, one, per, uh, one person uh, just ordered a, a Canon G9, and uh, this is Steve Madsen, and he said, uh, what brand of memory card will offer the best performance? Do you guys pick any certain kind of memory card? Well, no, I've been a fan disc, and I, you know, I don't, I don't pick them because I think they're better. I just, been, I've been using them forever, and they haven't let me down. So, I, I think it's kind of like a long time. And yeah, you know. I mean, get one that's reliable more than speed. For for a G nine or something like that, I really can't believe that the speed of the card is going to be the limiting factor. I think it's probably how fast you can write off the sensor. So I don't think you need to go, you know, Gonzo with a really really fast card. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there are, I've seen these sites that will test them all, and when you look at the difference, it's milliseconds. Um, I will say this, the Lexar cards are optimized for Nikon shooters and work best in Nikon cameras, and there's no such card in a Canon camera. But if I were a, a Nikon shooter, I would buy Lexar cards. Otherwise, I think any brand name is pretty much fair game. The... Uh um, another question that came in from uh, Jerry or Gary Hawkins, um, it is, uh, you know, and maybe we can touch on this a little bit more, but uh, macro photography. Uh, it's spring, um, and he's, he's looking out, he said, uh, which always brings out um, new close-up opportunities. I'm planning to buy a macro lens, a Nikon 105 or 60 millimeter, and would appreciate more, a more in-depth talk, and we don't have time to do it too deeply here, but what, uh, what makes a macro lens a macro lens? It's usually a, considered a macro lens if it can give you a one-for-one life-size reproduction at close range. And and uh, and and so, so some, and some zoom lenses will have that, right? So some some lenses or some long what what you would normally think of as a telephoto lens will uh, will have a macro. Is it usually a macro option? Well, yeah, and most of the time, what that is is really a more it's 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 more accurately described as a close focusing mode. In other words, when you flip a switch, it will let you get closer to the subject than the lens is typically set up to do. But it's not really exactly a macro shot, but it is close, and you can get the same effect. But you can use lenses, you can use extension, you know, tubes, you can use add-on. There, there's all kinds of ways to get macro. Uh, the bottom line is it means getting close and getting a more life-size look at something that's typically very small and that we wouldn't see, like a raindrop in a flower. That's that's the kind of stuff you can do with macro. My experience has been the longer the lens, the better the macro. Does anyone else have any input related to that? I, I actually did a little blog post that hasn't made it up there yet, but it probably will in the next few days that just briefly touches on the use of extension tubes, which is a nice cheap way to kind of get into it. It's not, instead of buying a new lens, it's just an extra tube that sort of pushes your existing lens out away from the camera body and thereby changes the, the distance that you can focus at. And so it's a nice cheap way to kind of get into it. But look for that as a blog post in the yeah, next few days. That'll, that'll actually be up uh, Friday. Okay. And just pulling back a little from the macro discussion, I mean, when you look at SLR lenses, I think a lot of the lenses that have come out now, when you look at the minimum focusing distance, a lot of them are allow you to go really, really close. And when you go to either a rangefinder system or medium format, you realize that you can't work anywhere near as close as you oh, can no. um, yeah. a traditional mm-hmm. SLR. And it, it really affects your photography. I tend to really want to be in close a lot of the time, even when I'm not you know, specifically shooting macro, and uh, it's kind of, uh, it, it, it makes you have to sort of look at, look at the world a little bit differently. I want to, uh, we're jumping to, I want to apologize, we didn't have Ryan uh, Brezi- um, Bren- Brenizer uh, on the show today. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with that, but we're going to try to reschedule him. Um, I think that uh, next week we have, uh, we should have, we, we expect to have Andrew Darlow, um, who makes who creates the the Bible on inkjet printing? Printing three hundred and one so, uh, inkjet tips and tricks. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. And so uh, Andrew's going to we're going to hopefully have him on. We're, we're work, working towards a raw in depth uh, show coming down the path. We're not sure exactly what that date is. Part of it is uh, dependent on when we uh, reschedule Ryan, uh, which who we're very we're just really looking forward to having him on. I'm kind of bummed we we had we had a bad Skype day today. This would have been an opportunity to really get into a D three frenzy. 
Right, exactly. And so we're gonna have to take we're gonna have to take a D three break here sometime soon when we 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 just ban it from the show for like a month just so we can all breathe a little bit. Um, but uh, but we're gonna have when we have Ryan back on, we'll really have get his uh, his opinion. He's been out there testing it. Uh, also coming up in the next couple of weeks uh, in video, uh, I'm gonna be doing a, a a video like what I did with the HDR, but about pano stitching in Photoshop. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but we're gonna stick with the Photoshop one because when you're it's such a great tool and so uh, i'm gonna do a little uh how to of how to shoot the photos as well as how to uh how to stitch them together now so in the future i mean in in uh, the next couple weeks we're gonna have uh, fred uh, who is uh, going to make a movie about how to remove people through photo merge in photoshop um uh, also uh scott's tripod movie is delayed this is all my fault um scott <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get it going Scott came in and rec- we recorded it, and I had a memory card uh, lesson of my own. So, um, so anyway, so uh, bigger memory cards, but the same problem. And uh, so, so anyway, so we uh, uh, Scott's going to be putting that together. That's coming up in the next couple weeks. Um, does anyone have a big tip to close off the uh, the show with for everyone to think about? I'm surprising everybody. I, I can do one, but I've been doing the last couple weeks. So, if anyone else wants to take it, go ahead. Otherwise, I got one. Go for it, Scott. All right. My tip is on shooting panoramics, since you mentioned panoramics, Alex. Um, If you're not familiar with panoramic photography, that means you're shooting a photograph that's wider than it is long or taller than it is wide, you know, by an extreme margin, usually two or three to one. And I I had just recently experimented with my old-fashioned X-Pan 2 film camera, which is a panoramic camera. And whether you're shooting SLRs that you're going to stitch or with a real panoramic camera, there's a couple of things you can do to really help yourself off. Number one, level the camera. Buy one of those little $20 bubble levels, put it on top of your camera, and get your camera dead level. Because when you're doing panoramics and you get your horizon off kilter, it is extraordinarily apparent and very disturbing to the viewer. So make sure that you are shooting level. The other thing to know is that unlike in traditional photography where you don't want to ever put the horizon dead center, it's totally okay in panoramic photography. In fact, all the rules of composition are slightly different in panoramic photography. You can do things like the rule of thirds, but the rule of thirds can extend out further into the frame. You can split the horizon. There's a lot of different things that you can do in panoramic photography. And the third last part of this tip is watch out for the difference in exposure at the edge of the frame versus the center of the frame. Sometimes you have to use what's known as a center spot filter on a real panoramic camera. And if you're using a stitched photo, make sure that when you put everything together, everything has the same basic look. So you may have to adjust exposures here or there to make sure that the things on the end aren't darker than the things in the middle. That's my tip. And that's something actually that Photoshop does very well is figuring that out. And though, though you do want to keep the same shutter speed, same aperture, you know, leaving it on auto and trying to do a pano is usually a painful experience. Yeah. And if anyone wants to see the work of a true master of panoramic photography, I would say look at Joseph Kadelka, the great Magnum photographer's uh, work, specifically his book called Chaos, where he exclusively worked, I believe, with a, a film Linoff panoramic camera. But the stuff is just incredible, and it's it's definitely will will you'll learn a lot just by seeing that work. You say that again, so that um, our buddy Aaron, who does the show notes, and by the way, he's one of the best show notes takers in the business. Oh my gosh, he is. <laughs> 
prolific. The best. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph K- Kudelka, K-O-U-D-E-L-K-A, the Magnum photographer. The book is called Chaos, and it's uh, exclusively panoramic images that he shot, I believe, with a, a Linoff large format panoramic camera. And it's just unbelievable to see these images. They, they really are truly, uh, uh, you'll learn a lot by looking at them. Great. Well, um, we are, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. Is there a place people can find you on the web? Uh, SteveSimonPhoto.com. It uh, hasn't changed, uh, but go. I should be changing and updating it Ooh, soon. But, uh, they can that's find a, me there. That's right. Scott Bourne, thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you want to see some of my work, go to avianstock, A-V-I-A-N-S-T-O-C-K.com. Ron. DigitalCompositing.com. And uh, and we and Fred has uh, has fallen off the off the uh, off the Skype. Yeah, Fred is lost. Fred, you can you know find him. Uh, Fred John, I think it's Fred uh, or or. Um, we have a link to Fred. Fred we have a, a link. To, we have a link to his blog on the uh, on our blog. Exactly, exactly. There's a link to it, uh, and so uh, so definitely check it out. And then uh, and we will see all of you hopefully on twitphoto.com. Ask us questions. Come up there. Make sure to post on uh, the delicious list, and make sure to visit the Twip Photo group on Flickr. Until next week, get out there and start shooting.